The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome, everybody. You're watching Sportbox with Karen Cho, Steve Sedgwick, and myself, Jeff Cutmore. Let's get into your headlines this hour. There was one heck of a sell-off. U.S. markets plunging in their worst day since June 2020 as a major disappointment in key retail earnings triggered a new wave of selling amid continued worries about inflation and growth fears. Asian markets echoing the declines with tech stocks slumping in Hong Kong and mining and energy majors weighing on the Australian index. US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen tells CNBC energy must be at the heart of sanctions on Russia, even if it means short-term pain at home. All of us share the objective of diminishing the revenues that Russia will have um, to buy goods and services that will help their economy and enable them to wage war. And a global debt ballooning by more than $3 trillion in the first quarter, with rising corporate debt raising fears of defaults uh, as global rates rise. So very good morning. Karen and I have come to the wall here just to walk you through with the big wall graphics exactly what happened in the session yesterday. And let's face it, if you are long the markets, if you've been trying to buy these dips, if you've been trying to be opportunistic where you think we might have seen capitulation and there is a chance to step in and make some money on potential bounces, well, you may be disappointed or indeed you may feel that this is yet another opportunity if you are a long-term investor to load up on some beaten down stocks. Too early to tell whether this stops here or whether this just continues going forward. So let's just walk through the very short-term price action. As you can see from our wall here, the S&P 500 S&P 500 uh, down over 4% once the uh, bloodletting was done with the uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average off 3.5% and the Nasdaq, again the technology stocks not pretty, down 4.73% here. Let's have a look at the sectors then just to see whether there was any place to hide as the selling took place and to be honest it was a broad market route and there were some sectors in particular that you might have thought would give you some protection that were also caught up in the selling. Relative, of course, the healthcare sector only down 2.6% compared to S&P information technology off four and three quarters of 1% here. The uh, communication services down 3.4% and consumer discretionary, which sometimes offers you a, a little bit of safety, uh, was really just beaten up, as was uh, the staples sector, which should offer you even more uh, safety, if you like. But really suggesting the market has now got worried about the growth stocks, the growth sector, the technology, and also got worried about those uh, cyclical sectors 
and those sectors that should stand out against the cyclical downturn. So we were off on consumer discretionary 6.6% and staples down 6.3%. So it was a fairly brutal session in the round, as I say, again, for those who are holding positions who are long the market. Um, quick look at the VIX then. What does this indicator tell us, if anything? Well, of course, the headline number um, up at uh, over 30 now. And as you might expect with this pickup in volatility, inevitably uh, we've got a hike here in the uh, VIX. And we've now, I think, just to reflect on the quarter that we've had here, seen a three-month change in the VIX of over 11%, Karen. I just peeled myself away from the desk reading a report about volatility. And this is from DataTrek Research. And they're pointing out this is not normal volatility that we're seeing in the markets. That if you go back over history to 2005, we've only seen more elevated volatility on three occasions. One being the financial crisis and the pickup from there. What we saw in the Greek debt crisis and, of course, around the pandemic. So this is unusual. And they're saying until some of the volatility settles down and whether that catalyst here really around interest rate certainty and outlook uh, certainty, the volatility needs to disappear before stocks can pick up from here. I thought that was a really interesting report to, to just say that this is not normal. It cannot be explained as typically as some stocks go up, some stocks go down. And you see those fluctuations over time. This is different as you look at the standard deviation uh, that you're seeing now in the volatility swings. Um, very difficult to say what is normal at the moment. We've had two years of a pandemic that's locked the world down. We've got a war going on in Russia, that's uh, Ukraine, that's having a major impact on commodity prices. We've got inflation. We just had a print over 9%. We haven't seen that since uh, the 1980s. Mm-hmm. These are very unusual times here and perhaps no surprise that market prices are reacting. Steve, you want to jump in? Oh, yeah, I did. I didn't get a cue from the director. It's totally normal, Karen. Sorry. Um, your history goes back to 2005 from that data trek piece. The fact of the matter is you go back five years earlier and you can see exactly what happened there is being replicated now. You've got to add in a different level to, yes, absolutely what you and Jeff have been saying. Yes, there are problems about uh, the COVID. Yes, there are horrendous war going on in Ukraine, which is affecting inflation. But the fact of the matter is we've got dot-com bubble Mark II going on. We all know there are a load of companies that were never, ever priced correctly. We all know there were a lot of companies that were valued wrongly as well, uh, and they will never, ever get to profitability. We humoured these people for far too long. The fact of the matter is there are two major events that you and Jeff just mentioned, plus the fact you've got a revaluation of companies that are hopeless, quite frankly. Well, just... Uh, pulling out the, the data that I was looking at, 1.45, the standard deviation we're now looking at in terms of sheer numbers. But I just want to take you to, you mentioned the 1980s, Jeff. Mm-hmm. We saw that in terms of uh, some of the selling pressure and the retailers yesterday and the likes of Target. I mean, the biggest percentage drop we've had in that company since 1987. We had a report card that was a little bit in contrast to what else we've had from the sector in recent days. And you can see the extent of the fall on 25%. This is the company reported that it won't be able to pass on all of those high costs to consumers. They simply do not think it is the right thing in terms of passing on the inflation pressure and what they're facing on fuel and freight costs, an extra one billion 
higher so far this year as the anticipated number. We're not talking about pocket change here. So uh, this is a concern, I think, as the market thought, well, we've got pricing pressures here. Corporates are going to hold the line they can pass on to consumers. And that just simply was not the case from Target yesterday. Also, analysts looking at the sector now and saying, look, underlying volumes are starting to soften here. You are seeing consumers trading down to extent, pulling back on the amount that they're buying. So this is an early indication that some of that monetary policy action is starting to bite and the, the forecasting we're seeing. But Walmart, you could see also dropping uh, to the tune of 6.7% in session. Right across the board, we saw a, a bit of a drop across some of the, the stronger names in the sector. But if you take a look at the bottom end here, and it's a mix of names, you know, ones that have struggled around the big department store, a business model, Macy's, that was down 10%. Dollar Tree, a stock that's been bid up as we talk about some of the valuations out there, 14% down and Best Buy shedding 10%. A quick look at those big tech names too in the mix. Uh, This is how we fared. Again, it was another decent sized pullback in the context where already we have seen significant falls. Netflix down 7%, Amazon down by the same amount. Elsewhere, 5% pullback on Apple as we talk about market leadership. Microsoft not too far off, 4.5% downside. And Meta also reversing around that 5% handle. So a big handing back of some of those early optimistic gains where some investors had started to dip a toe in the water around these big name stocks. Now, Asian markets are also selling off today, led by Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index. Let's get out to Emily for more. Emily, it's a little bit like what we're seeing on those US markets where investors were raking back over some exposures, particularly in tech. But simply, that's just disappeared, that appetite today. Yeah, that's right. And the color of the day, Karen, you're in it. It's red. We're looking across Asia, and there's a lot of weakness in the region. Uh, Did a little bit of digging, and there is one bright spot, and that is the Jakarta Composite, which is up three-tenths of one percent today. But let's start here in Hong Kong, the biggest loser in the region. The Hang Seng Index reopening after the lunch break, opening down more than two percent. We're off almost two and a half percent, but we have come off the day's lows and managing to hold just above uh, that 20,000 handle. Uh, The losses are pretty broad-based. Index heavyweight Tencent, though, is the biggest drag after posting its steepest profit decline since going public. Q1 profits dropped 51% on year to $3.5 billion, and revenues showed no growth, flat on year to $20 billion. The regulatory uncertainty and pandemic control measures weighing on the business, with the company saying that stricter regulations could become normal practice, but COVID outbreaks are the bigger challenge. Over in China, the market's pairing earlier losses after Shanghai announcing that more businesses can resume from June with the COVID situation there improving. And this comes as U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen confirming that she is advocating within the Biden administration for eliminating tariffs on Chinese imports that, quote, aren't very strategic, end quote, but are hurting U.S. consumers and businesses. Meanwhile, President Biden arrives in Seoul tomorrow in his first trip to Asia as U.S. President over over his five-day trip, he will meet with new South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol and Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida. The trip is expected to launch a long-awaited economic initiative for increasing U.S. involvement in Asia. In Korea, the cost be falling. We've got large-cap tech 
Shipbuilders and retailers all in retreat. Samsung down more than 1%, SK Hynix off more than 2 Shinsege off more than 3.5%. Renewed risk-off sentiment is also sending the won weaker against the greenback. Over in Japan, the Nikkei is set to snap a four-session rally with losses in fast retailing being the big drag. That's the owner of the Uniqlo brand down 3.5%. Looking over at Japan autos, as U.S.-bound shipments of cars led exports higher in April, up 12.5%. Japan exports extending double-digit gains for a third straight month. Total imports rising 28.2%, and that was less than expected. With imports from China, Japan's largest trading partner following the most since September 2020. Now, this data follows the yen's fall to 20-year lows against the greenback earlier this month, last traded at around 128. And heading down under, Australian shares move in line with the broader market sell-off. The benchmark stock index off 1.5%. We have energy stocks slipping as oil prices tumbled overnight. Australia's unemployment rate hitting its lowest level since 1974. The jobless rate at 3.9% in April. The fall in employment puts Australia a step closer to full employment, one of the key aims of the policymakers down there. And that is a look at your Australasia trade. Back to you guys now. Terrific. Emily, thank you very much indeed for that. Let's have a quick look at the U.S. futures then. What are they telling us in terms of how we're setting up for the trading session in the United States? And it's a pretty flat call, isn't it? Early doors on where we're likely to start the session with the Dow implied to open about 47 points higher in the Nasdaq, just in negative territory. Uh, Scott Cronut joins us, U.S. equity strategist at City. Scott, good to have your company on this important day this morning. Very interesting that a lot of people seem to blame the sell-off on the target numbers. And we got sort of different messages from the retailers. Home Depot seemed to suggest the consumer was resilient, while we had Walmart talking about price sensitivity and, and consumers trading down. Do you think it was all about the retail numbers yesterday, or was there another reason for the sell-down? Well, I think that's a, that's a good explanation. So let's think about it this way. is In our view, the rising rate impact on valuations is mostly behind us. We see that on the growth side of the market and, and the, the de-risking the de that's unfolded there so far this year. We've been making the point that with the rising rate conundrum mostly priced in, the focus turns to growth expectations as we look ahead. And the issue here really uh, has to do with investors pricing in recession risk even though we haven't gotten to a real strong view whether recession likelihood is there for this year or next. So the, the key point, therefore, is that we think that investors are, are inc incrementally concerned regarding the growth outlook, and we got some data uh, this, this past day that supports that. The, um, the monetarists would normally tell you that you'd need at least nine to 12 months for the Fed hikes to begin really having a significant impact on the economy. And yet we're seeing mortgage rates rise. We're seeing the market uh, move already to anticipate where we're going to be in nine to 12 months time in the economy. And the markets appear to be suggesting we're not going to be in a good place. Why do you think the markets may have got this wrong then if you don't see recession on the cards? Well, I think what happens is that the, the markets have many more tools to evaluate Fed funds, futures, curves, swap curves, and so forth. And that data, you know, historically wasn't available this far in advance of, of the risk of recessionary conditions. And 
And the data suggests that uh, you're going to see Fed rate hikes into the middle part of 23 with some alleviation on the other side of that. When we've looked historically at, at earnings versus Fed rate hikes, the tendency is actually for earnings to move higher while the Fed's hiking. It's when the Fed stops hiking that you then begin to see the fall off in earnings, which would make sense. Strong economic conditions that the Fed's responding to ends up driving the fundamentals. In this case, though, I think what investors are, are trying to navigate is the expectation that we've got a series of Fed rate hikes ahead of us. We're looking for an additional 350 basis point moves over the next three Fed meetings. And so with that as a, as a potential incremental concern regarding the economic and therefore earnings outlook, investors are pricing this in much sooner than you would otherwise expect. Scott, shouldn't U.S. corporates be utterly embarrassed about their policies of buying back a record amount of their own stock in 2021, way above the record that we saw in 2018, with estimates of $1 trillion this year, having bought back over $300 billion in the first quarter? Isn't that an embarrassing set of policies when you consider they should have invested in productivity in their employees? Uh, and perhaps that would have helped their margins in this very difficult time. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question and an interesting topic. I mean, we've been of the view that we'll see a very solid, you know, repurchase activity level this year, akin to what we saw last year. And we have been expecting going into this year that that repurchase activity would actually be deployed around periods of volatility. So I'm not surprised. Corporate balance sheets here in the U.S. are, and generally speaking, very good shape. Um, now, the CapEx side has actually been healthy as well. So I don't know it's been one at the expense of the other. I think it's sort of a reflection of how strong uh, earnings and cash flow growth was last year. But, but, when, but once you've raised the debt and, and U.S. corporate, non-financial corporate debt, now the hottest figures off the wire are still over 80 percent debt to GDP. So one of the highest levels we've seen, albeit lower uh, than the first quarter year ago, I will concede that, but still at stunningly high historic levels. Once you've raised that money to buy back your shares, you still sit with the debt for many years to come. Isn't that just a ludicrous situation when actually the corporates could have invested in their staff and then they wouldn't necessarily have the staff crisis they're having now? Uh, again, it's a good question. I, I think there's a balance to all of this. Um, again, going into this year, in addition to buybacks and CapEx, we've been expecting very good dividend growth this year. Um, I do think you're seeing, you know, generally speaking, um, an appropriate response on the wage side. Corporates are having to deal with that from their own individual competitive circumstances. Um, but it's, it's hard at this point to say that there's anything that's off trend about this. And of course, you know, with a higher level of debt, we are also looking at still fairly decent debt servicing coverage ratios. So I'd say in aggregate, it's, it's, not, it's not a concern from, from, from our perspective anyway. Scott, I just wanted to get into this volatility again and how we get out of what we're seeing on the markets at this stage because one commentator was suggesting, well, look, we haven't really had the market price in the potential for a recession, a mild one maybe, uh, monetary policy, definitely we've seen that in the stock action, but not a genuine recession in case the Fed gets it wrong if we actually do see a fairly sizable dip here, which then could explain why we would see, again, more steep falls on the stock market. Can you just talk about that, the potential if we are seeing the market wrong-footed on the type of downturn that could be coming. Well, so again, we, we know that generally speaking, the market tends to sell uncertainty and then eventually buys the alleviation of said uncertainty. 
And we're sort of in that maximum period of uncertainty where there really hasn't been any change to underlying growth expect expectations, certainly for 22, and even the early look into 2023. So I think what you have is, as I mentioned earlier, a series of Fed fund rate hikes ahead, signs of, of weakening economic activity or at least plateauing economic activity, even before we get to the real brunt of the, of the Fed response. So you know, I think investors are, are at, uh, rightly so quite uneasy about the outlook from here. It is kind of interesting that you know I, we've been suggesting that we'll begin to see more signs of, of, of earnings growth expectations come in, probably as we move into the second half, but looking ahead to 23. So the timing here is, is a big issue. And I think what we'll just have to watch pretty closely is, is what we're seeing in sort of second or third derivative readings on, on, on economic activity and the implications for, for inflation uh, ahead of where the Fed may be. So long-winded way of saying that maximum period of uncertainty right now, we're just beginning to see um, you know, companies uh, respond more uh, definitively to concerns regarding supply chain and other issues. Um, and I think the response you know, that we're seeing in the markets is, is 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 pretty clearly sig signaling that okay we knew that we knew that there's a possibility of this coming perhaps not quite so soon though Scott, a number of stocks feel like they're well and truly out in the cold now. I mean, Netflix says it started out earnings season and warned about subscribers. It's down, what, 70-odd percent so far year-to-date. It felt like Target joined the list yesterday as well around some of its warnings. What will it take for the CEOs of some of these companies that are now left out to try and turn that narrative around? Well, I think there's this aspect of maybe you began to see it you know in the last day or so with okay let's come to terms with the reality of the circumstance i think that's probably number one as i mentioned even if the news isn't good the sooner that com that companies can kind of lay out the way this is setting up i think the sooner investors will be able to get more comfortable regarding what type of fundamental circumstance they're they're investing in at this point so I think we need more clarity in that. But what I want to point out, though, and I think this is sort of important to those watching uh, just the broader S&P, is that what we really have going on here in the U.S. is a tale of two tapes. The valuation compression off of rising rates has really been felt on the growth side of the market. Valuation compression on the value side has been much less. And so, you know, we've been sort of in, had been in the value camp for the better part of this year, went more agnostic last week in response to that. But again, the key point here is that within that value component of the market, you get a combination of economic sensitive, such as, such as energy and financials, but you also get the defensive side of the market, which has held up very well up to this point. That's going to include the staples of area utilities uh, as well. But my point is, is that you've, you probably have had a bit of a mismatch in terms of the relative performance attributes of the defensives this year, which includes consumer staples, with the reality of what's now you know, coming to fruition in terms of some of the fundamental headwinds they're facing. Scott, I very much enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, Scott Cronut, who is a US equity strategist over at City. Much appreciated, sir.
Well, I referred to debt levels which remain in that interview with Scott just now. Coming up on the show, global debt rises to record levels in the first quarter with the Chinese and the United States becoming the biggest drivers. Uh, we'll discuss this more after the break. And for more on the disappointing retail numbers and the impact on global equities, you may check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Right, the latest data out from the IIF, the Institute of International Finance. Global debt rose to a record $305 trillion in the first quarter. That is according to a new report by the aforementioned IIF, which says China and the US has led the increase. In contrast, the euro area's total debt declined for a third consecutive quarter. That's on a debt-to-GDP base, of course. The rise in global debt was uh, mostly driven by, here we go, corporate and government borrowing with debt outside the financial sector surging to $236 trillion. The point I want to make here, uh, Jeff, good morning, and Karen, good morning again. The fact of the matter is, um, corporate, and I'll stick on the corporates, I've got my own issues with sovereigns as well, but I'll just carry on where I left off with City just now. Corporates did not do what I think it was George Osborne said over a decade ago, which is repair the roof while the sun was shining. What they did is they dismantled the roof. They sold off uh, the the materials for the roof. uh, And now they're trying to install a tarpaulin when it is raining heavily. That is what I believe they've done, because instead of getting their debt loads under control when there was zero financing, what they did was take the opportunity to load up on debt. That's not me saying it, by the way. That's the data. And I'll just go through some of the numbers. Higher corporate debt levels, greater sensitivity, of course, to the inflation shock that many people uh, didn't see coming, including the Fed, which thought it was transient. Uh, I didn't. Uh, Non-financial firms have piled up more than $14 trillion in new debt since 2019. That brings the total non-financial corporate debt to over $990 trillion in the first quarter. Large cash holdings of public companies do act as a buffer against shocks, but rising debt levels have increased the sensitivity of corporate balance sheets to soaring rates. Final sentence. Rising financing costs coupled with heightened geopolitical risks have erased more than $16 trillion from the value of global equities year to date. Was it fool's gold to buy back your shares and leave yourself uh, at the mercy of a market which is now looking for strong corporate balance sheets for companies that don't have to refinance so aggressively at high levels? I'll leave that an open question for you both. 
I wanted to pick up one of the warning signals that I saw in there, which was around small-sized companies. And this is a mature market, so the report was saying a third of them were struggling to meet interest expenses. And you think about it, we've only just gotten going on interest rates. We're not at the uh, terminal rate yet. So if some are already struggling now to cover those increased costs, what lies around the corner, which is perhaps a concern as we talk about corporate bankruptcies. I mean, we've had a very swift turn in monetary policy. I think a lot of people thought that we were going to look at ultra-low interest rates for a long, long time. Then suddenly now, we're talking about uh, old eras that we've returned to in terms of those interest rate hikes back to back. Uh, the other point, though, was that uh, we, there was some improvement when it comes to ratios. And you saw a, a 15 percentage point uh, drop off the peak uh, debt ratios from Q1 2021. But the improvement here really was in some of the, the major markets. And I think for me, that's the concern as well, that inequality is something you are seeing come through in these numbers, that those have seen stronger GDP growth, have been able to repay some of those debts that they managed to rack up during the, the uh, coronavirus um, pandemic issues where governments effectively were funding everything and so were corporates, that I think some of that's been packed, paid back by the stronger nations. Emerging markets, though, and the weaker players here are still saddled with debt. And for me, that's an issue as you come into a higher interest rate environment. Just to come back to the, the corporate debt, I mean, what, what we've seen is a phenomena where corporates have borrowed to buy back their own paper, as Steve is pointing out here, largely um, because they haven't seen other things that they've wanted to use that money for. And that tells us something about the broader picture for demand across the global economy and the high level of debt we already have at a consumer level and companies have not been using that money to expand their businesses or, or indeed um, uh, to, to, to go out and buy other companies because they've felt that the most profitable thing they could do is actually just retire their own paper. This also has the wonderful beneficial effect of flattering the earnings per share numbers and improving the prospects that the C-suite will get higher compensation if their packages are tied to performance in terms of the earnings per share number. So it's a win-win for everybody in the corporate world, isn't it? But Steve makes a good point. You know, you do look a little bit daft if you are buying back your shares at high multiples. And let's face it, through this period, we've seen incredibly strong multiple expansion, but we haven't necessarily seen supportive growth in earnings to justify that multiple expansion. So the multiple expansion has come as we've seen interest rates fall, the availability of money and liquidity has allowed companies to do a little bit of financial trickery to reduce the cost of their debt and then recycle that money into buying back their own shares with the flattering prospect that you get a higher bonus here. Does it matter? And I think this is the important question about these levels of corporate debt. Mm. And the guest that we had on in the first half hour said it doesn't matter because coverage ratios are good and companies have strong enough balance sheets by and large to continue to service that debt. And if they've been smart and they have a CFO who's switched on, what they've also done is extended the duration of that paper at much lower interest rates. So there isn't the same pressure on the throat of the CEO to drive earnings, to bring in money to service that debt here. Mm -hmm. We'll have to see whether ultimately it does matter because this will play out over the course of the next few months or so, you know, 12 to 16 months. It is just worth noting, for a very long time, we haven't seen much pain in the high yield market. 
But those chickens are beginning to come home to roost. And if you look at any of the high yield indices, they are starting to widen out against your safer sovereign. Mm. And that tells you, I think now, that what we're seeing in the equity markets and the worries about growth are beginning to filter into the high yield market, which for a very long time has been a relatively safe place to be. So maybe at some point the debt actually does begin to matter, but I don't think we've got the evidence yet. I think it does quickly, just on that note, because I read a report around Spain which has done that at a sovereign level, extending out duration. But there are really concerns now about the overall debt load as we potentially look at the ECB starting the process around lifting interest rates. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.